Welcome to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. It's the third week of January and a very special time when people love to explore giving up or not giving up on some goals that have been set. And this is a conversation I feel like I'm in every year with Matt Corker. So it is perfectly appropriate that Matt Corker is on the show today. Hi, bro. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show that you fund and create. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in all seriousness though bro the third week of january you talk about it all the time it's to quit or not to quit and tell me about your relationship with january 21st well january 21st according to all the studies around resolutions and goals and new habits january 21st is known as blue monday or the third monday of january is when the visa bill comes in when the gym membership gets looked at and evaluated for its usage, when all of the habits that started off with rocketing success have now been tested and put through the lull of like, oh, this actually may need to become a daily practice or it's difficult to become a daily practice. And January 21st is known as Blue Monday because most of the people give up on their resolutions. And this is the week, I would say, that most people give up on their goals. And this is a time when it's easy to give up. Like it's hard to stick with it. And what I think is really interesting is your perspective on goals and habits. And sometimes it's actually hard to quit. Tell me about what it means when a goal is hard to quit. Yeah. Well, we have been in the conversation because when I have failed at a goal, I've never wanted to quit at it. And it's often people are like, well, when are you just going to stop X, Y, or Z? Or you miss the buy when of the goal. The goal hasn't changed. It just might have taken me longer to get to the goal or I might not have reached it yet. And in that, I'm learning that quitting for me, giving up on a goal is actually really hard in the same way that quitting smoking is really hard. In the same way that I think quitting a job can be really hard. You might be ready to go out and leave the job behind and this is a time for a new chapter, yet there are some things. There's creature comforts, there's you know how to get from home to the office, you know where you like to go for lunch, you probably work with some people that you quite enjoy working with. And I think the other side of quitting, where we acknowledge that quitting is hard, is it just adds for a different conversation. And then it says to me, if it's hard, will you still, will you stick with it or will you quit? You know, what side of the quitting conversation are you on? And I would argue, not argue, uh, but I would suggest that you're not a quitter either. I think the interesting thing is that I think what you just highlighted is the distinction between quitting and failing. And it's like, even though you could fail at a goal, either not reach the level of success that you thought you would or by that certain point of time. But quitting is like, that's no longer acceptable. That's no longer important. That's no longer necessary. And for me, when I look back, I'm like, man, December was the month that I quit reusable drinking cups. And this was a month that I felt that I, I needed assistance. And what I 
what I got was a new reusable mug that I take with me pretty much everywhere. Shout out to Chad finding the Kinto reusable mug. Anyway, we'll link below because Kinto, I'm all about it these days. And what was difficult for me wasn't actually carrying my mug around. Creating new habits for ourselves tend to be easier than giving up old habits. And what I was reminded of as I'm trying to quit reusable cups of how prolific reusable cups are in our day-to-day. And so when I go to my favorite coffee shop, it's a reusable cup are there. When I go and want to get a smoothie from Whole Foods or Turf, it, those are also non-reusable cups. And so it's but like, wait, man. Are Turf cups compostable? Well, so here's the whole... And give us the to, distinction. Yeah. So I talked to the boys at Juice Truck. Shout out to Juice Truck. They were talking with the collector of compost here in Metro Vancouver. And he was saying that as the compost gets sorted in the um, industrial compost, that there's little slits along the, this conveyor belt and things get mashed and crampled and whatnot in order to go through these little slits. And the idea of it is so that metal and plastic and things that don't belong in the compost don't make it through and so they just get incinerated. But most food waste and food scraps will easily make it through there, no problem, no questions asked. So he was saying that as things become more plant-based plastic or plant-based material, they don't actually crumble or crush to make it through to be actually composted. So the end of life of compostable plastics is actually to be incinerated. So on the front end, they don't use up oil and, and natural resources necessarily or non-renewable resources. But the tail end is they do create pollution. Whereas with plastic cups, they do get recycled. So the front end is not necessarily positive, but the back end is. And so he said the most beneficial thing that everyone could do is be, be using reusable mugs. Even when I'm like, but this is compostable and I'm putting it in a compost section and blah, blah. At least here in Vancouver, it's not hundred percent awesome. Got it. I love this. This is good to know. You're and quitting mugs. So I quit mugs and I was just reminded that since they're so prolific that it's not actually my behavior that makes it difficult. It's other people's behavior that makes it difficult. And it's difficult to quit it because everywhere I go, someone is encouraging me passively. And I'm like, man, I... And when I forget my mug, I feel like, oh, I really wanted a a drink today on my way to work and I won't be able to. And so there's these pains of feeling like I'm missing out on something. (laughs) And and I really relate to, it's difficult to make a new habit. In this case, quit an old habit. Right. So would you say that quitting, this is the question, is quitting hard? I think quitting, well, here's the interesting thing. I often think of like, it's easy to quit something that we've made wrong or bad. If you want to quit your job, it's easy. If it's like, it's not the right job for me. I hate it. I don't like my boss, blah, blah, blah. Something is wrong or bad about it. Easy to quit. If I still think highly of it, it's difficult to quit. And I have watched people who love their team and they're so passionate about their team, stay working for horrible people because it's the whole situation isn't wrong or bad. 
it's like they look around, they're like, it's 80% okay. And I, I can settle for 80%. Quitting is difficult when the goal is still valid. Quitting is difficult when the goal is still good. Tell the story of quitting when you had food poisoning overseas. Oh gosh, yeah. I've told this story that I was going to try to do the swim of this Ironman and really had just spent the evening puking my guts out and thought I was done. There was no way I could get on the bike and I wanted to get on the bike literally just to ride back to where I was staying. But the reality was I got on the bike and rode 110 kilometers because I just didn't know how to quit. I didn't know how to get off course and I'm in the middle of Frankfurt, Germany and I I didn't know how to ask someone to put me in a car and get me off. So I just kept riding my bike. And in the back of my head, kept thinking like, will this day turn around? Is it worth it? Can I keep going? Instead of just how do I quit? Yeah. I was riding so slowly. And, you know, another example as it relates, frankly, to a bike ride is over the holidays, we were on the big island and I really wanted to climb the volcano, Mauna Loa. And people thought it was pretty crazy and it was going to take a long time. And there were so many unknowns. I didn't know the road. I didn't know what it was going to be like. We were climbing to 13,000 feet. I was by myself, except for our awesome mom who was going to sag with me. People kept Which saying, means like a support vehicle. Support, yes. Triathlon. Um, and the thoughts were, go start. You can always quit. So I would get to two hours and think like, oh, I could quit now. No one will care. No one knows. It's just me. And they were like, you know, if you start getting lightheaded, just quit because altitude is a thing. And it got to a point where I was like, well, I'm here for a memory. And my memory... It can't be. I I quit at four hours or I quit at 8,000 feet. But it was real for me in the realm of no one knowing, of no one being around, of no one else caring. I wanted to ride my bike for six hours that day. It really didn't matter how I rode six hours. I could be riding on the flats and circles and coming down to, I guess, your point of like the goal really mattering. And also for me, it's how much do you care? And I said this last year, I'm going to say it in 2019, hot damn, I think caring is cool. And I think caring means I might not quit. It means I'll tell you that quitting is really hard. It means I'm willing to look myself in the mirror and say, I need to do things better or differently to stay in the game and to not quit. And this is super relevant. And as it relates to, to work, because it's very easy and it's, probably one of the number one conversations that I'm in all the time about how it's my boss's fault that I want to quit my job. And people want to talk to us about new jobs because of their boss. And on the flip side, people don't talk to us for new jobs if they love their boss. And it's that straightforward. And this is timely and I'm going to plug it because I can't help myself that this Wednesday is the deadline for the first cohort of the Facilitated Manager Startline Program of, of 2019. And I just have to go here with you, bro. Tell me about the Facilitated Manager Startline and if this could be our one offering to help people stay in a job and shift their perspective of it not being their boss's fault about why they don't like their work or about being the leader that people will stay to work for, which I think is much more important. 
And that to me is like the latter thing that you just said is kicker for me is we want to create more leaders in the world that people want to work for. So you want to know how to kill the recruiting industry? It's hire and train more great managers. Boom. And there's enough recruiters to steal your top talent. So you better start trying to actually develop their skills and create their the ripple effect of retention. The facilitated manager start line, I get super passionate about it, not only because it brings together people from multiple different organizations. So you're learning from people outside of your own organization and hearing how they're handling their manager conversations. But it's also because we get to check in with each other along the way. And out of all of the online training programs, what we see is that 92% are incomplete. So if you do your own online training program, if you sign up for that 12-week course that's self-directed, it is very unlikely that you're going to complete it on your own. Any form of accountability begins to decrease that stat. So more people complete it with more accountability. So for us, we join together in video calls four times to make sure people feel supported, connected, and that the material gets applied. And I really love this because it's an opportunity for us to also give back to One Girl Can. And the One Girl Can Society is an organization that works on ending and breaking the cycle of poverty and gender inequality in Africa. And through the number of managers that have gone through the Manager Start Line program, we donate a percentage of profits to One Girl Can. And we've now supported two women going into university with scholarships. And it just warmed my heart. We got a letter from the society to let us know that One Girl is studying aerospace engineering. And the fact that managers are investing in themselves will have a ripple effect not only in their organization, but also in their greater community and all the way to Africa. And this is just my favorite program to run. And I'm so excited for this next cohort. It's seriously work on purpose. And I just have to plug, maybe because one of your ex-girlfriends is now an astronaut designing uh, apparel to land on the moon. Is that why you're really into this one girl can? We never dated, but that's... Oh, she was beautiful. Um, (laughs) She is beautiful. Cody Page. (laughs) I love you, Cody. What I also wanted to add, though, that makes the Facilitated Manager Start Line program special and timely at this time of year is it is not relevant on your entire organization going through the program. You don't need a large learning and development budget. You frankly don't even need approval from anyone in your organization. You can sign up. Your company can pay for it. You can pay for it. This is called investing in yourself to be the leader that people won't quit on. And I think that by taking this away from making it anyone else's responsibility, people say, you know, how do I create a legacy? How do I set myself up for the next job? And hot diggity if Team Corker can let you know that when you can take it upon yourself to be fully responsible for how you show up in your career, you really can get up to whatever you want to do. Amen. Let's wrap it up on that, Steffer. Hot dang. What's making your heart beat faster, bro? I'm really excited because the Mindful Book Club that I'm in is wrapping up our book of January called The Cooking Gene, and it's by Michael Twitty, and it's about a traveling back into the Old South through the lens of cooking. 
but he does it with a lens of slavery, of racial issues, of rape and incest, and just all the stuff that happened in the Old South in his ancestry. And he does it in a way that mirrors why black-eyed peas are a critical part of that story and why are grits a critical part of that story and tells this story of the power and the experience in the kitchen in a very historical autobiographical sense. So it's a really interesting read. That's so cool. Uh, On the flip side, I've created Goal Club, not quite a book club. And Goal Club will get together on the last week of every month. And it's about not quitting and celebrating all of our goals. And what I realized was when I set goals, there were always a couple that fell off the end and I made it okay for them to fall off. And so when setting goals this year, I said, how fun would it be if we got together and jammed on goals once a month? So if you'd like to join a book club there's book clubs and if you'd like to join a goal club you can start a goal club with that i know you do let's wrap this thanks for another chat bro see you soon